So we're about to begin. Uh, I just want to start by introducing myself. I'm Nina, and this is Deb, and we would like to welcome you to the inaugural Medical Biophysics Alumni and Student Networking Reception. Now, before we begin, we'd like to share a story on how this reception came to be. It all started not too long ago from a simple conversation. Deb and I had attended career seminars in the past where we've met many, uh, sorry, where we met a few medical biophysics alumni. They were fantastic individuals who provided insight with relatable experiences. Now this led us to wonder, what are other MBP graduates doing and what, can, and what can we do with our degrees? And as we were discussing this, we envisioned a reception where students can meet other MBP alumni and learn about what potential career paths for their degree. And so from this simple thought, we started an initiative for bridging students with alumni and thus was the beginning of MBPCDA, or the Medical Biophysics Career Development Association. And from this beginning, our goal has been to provide resources and opportunities encouraging student career development with the hopes of one day having alumni reception. So one of our additional goals for the MBPCDA is that we noticed that there wasn't a lot of communication between the students and the alumni that graduated. And we realized that there's so many great MBP um, alumni and they're doing so many interesting things um, in their different career paths that maybe they want to come back and give uh, to share their advice, share their knowledge to current MBP students. So one thing that we're really trying to do is by hosting events like these is to really um, bring or build up the MBP community that contains the students, the faculty, the administrative staff, and the alumni. So what we're hoping is that we're, um, by alumni coming back and they're sharing their advice, is that we can provide this environment where current students, right when they start off in first year, they can have this environment where they can learn about different career paths and really help them become better students in general. Um, so today we have a lot of exceptional speakers and a lot of um, outstanding alumni here to share their experience. So I really encourage the students to try to meet as many alumni as possible and to hear their journey, how they went from an MBP graduate student to their current position. So to start off, um, this is just a brief, um, or this is the uh, schedule for today. So we're first gonna have a panel session. We're gonna just finish up some introductions with our chair, Dr. Thomas Kissinger, and also a brief, a brief talk by our MBP GSA downtown president of this year, Tawny. And then we'll have the panel session um, featuring five different alumni who are in very different career paths. And then there'll be a short break and then the round table session. So I just wanted to conclude before Thomas speaks. Um, we really appreciate for everybody taking the time to come out tonight. Um, I know the weather wasn't great, but thank you. Um, this is a, this is a very, really rare opportunity for MVP students to connect with alumni and we're hoping that this won't be a rare event in the future and become more and more common if we build up this MVP community. I couldn't put it any better, so I'm going to do this really quickly. So thank you all for coming and welcome to the first MBP alumni reception. So hopefully we make this a yearly event and grow this event over the years. So the whole idea of this is it's not something novel. Other departments have this too, so we kind of borrowed it from them and they grew it over the years. So the whole idea of this event is really multifold. So on one hand, it's kind of to celebrate our alumni and their accomplishments after they leave MBP. Second, of course, is to tap into their experience, right? So in fields that are outside of academia. So I can certainly tell you, 
what it takes to be an academic in five minutes, but I can tell you nothing what it needs to be to become a, in, in a consulting firm like Michelle, right? So this is where we need help to guide you guys what you could be after you leave MBP. And that's really all I have to say. So I mean, I'm happy so many came. Hopefully over the years we can grow this as it becomes a habit, ask as many questions, and I will certainly support this event over the years financially. So we're totally committed for this from MVP. All right, that's all. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Thomas, for that wonderful uh, financial commitment that you'll have in the next couple of years. And I also just want to reiterate, thank you, everybody, both the students and the alumni, for coming out here tonight. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules to come and share this event with us. I won't blab on for too long, but I just kind of want to give an overview of career paths and where our alumni really have gone uh, after they've graduated from the Department of Medical Biophysics. And this really started, uh, coincidentally, about a week ago when some of the administrators in the department forwarded to me some prospective students who were very interested in what they could do with their degree after their master's degree or their uh, PhD. And this was a question that I know I definitely had myself, and I know lots of students have it. So this kind of took me down a little interesting journey to explore really where do MVP graduates go after they graduate. And so first I kind of took a look at different industry sectors, you know, where are MVP students going in terms of whether they're going to the private sector or going into academia or other sectors. And just some of the data you can see here, when you take a look at the PhD graduates from MVP, we really enter most of the sectors, most of the major sectors at a comparable rate compared to the Ontario average. For the master's candidates, we do have more people kind of pursuing professional school and additional training post their graduation. But it does seem like MVP is kind of on par with the Ontario average here. And just to comment, last year we had some fantastic work done on uh, alumni statistics that were compiled by the MVP CDA, and we will be sharing that with all of you tonight after the event. But I think more importantly than what sector people go to, there's quite a number of striking things about graduates from this department that really, I think, makes us stand out compared to some of the other uh, programs here in Toronto. And first of all is we have fantastically high student satisfaction from people who have gone through our programs. We've recently implemented a exit questionnaire and we took a look. We surveyed uh, students from the past three years who graduated just to comment on their experiences. And we were quite uh, happy to see that everybody was quite satisfied with their experience experiences in the department. Not only that, MVP also has a very fast track to industry or any sort of working position after graduation. We found that over 90% of graduates from our department were able to secure a post-graduation uh, position within three months, and that number was quite striking to us as well. And not only do they find positions quite quickly, but they also find them in a wide variety of very prestigious academic institutions and uh, private firms. And just to give you a kind of idea of where our alumni have gone, they've gone all over the world across a broad range of different sectors and institutes. I thought, personally thought it was also quite striking that even within our uh, alumni population, we have a good number of entrepreneurs. So we have quite a few number of companies that have been developed from the Department of Medical Biophysics, and most of these have been funded by either venture capitalists or have already exited the market already. And when you take a look at how all of these cool places that our alumni go, 
it's really no surprise when you consider that our students are not only excellent researchers and scientists in training, but they are also exceptional leaders and demonstrate very strong initiative. And you know, a lot of the alumni probably have experience with this while they were in the department as well, but here's just an example of some of the initiatives just within the last year that we've taken. Whether it is running the core programming of the department, to reaching out to the community by supporting uh, educational programs for high schoolers. We've implemented the exit questionnaire as we've talked about and now we also have a podcasting team where we're releasing video and audio podcasts featuring our own students and our faculty. And of course the great work that the Career Development Association has done here tonight to put together this fantastic event. So we know that our MVP students, past and present, have excellent uh, skills both in terms of their subject matter knowledge as well as professional skills. And where we think we can really take it to the next step is by fostering a stronger relationship with our alumni network. So we're, we're very thankful for all the alumni who come here today to share with us your industry experience, your insights into different sectors so you can really help bring current students to the next level of their uh, career. And of course for students who are here today I also encourage you that after you've graduated and moved on from this department that you would also contribute. I think you know U of T probably asks alumni for money all the time. We don't ask for money. We would just like you to share your knowledge and your experiences. And you can stay in touch with us a number of different ways. We have a number of websites. We have both the MVP website but also the MVP GSA website that's available. We also have a increasingly active LinkedIn group where we often post jobs or news that's going on with the department. We have a Twitter as well as a Facebook page and of course just lastly our MVP podcast is now available on YouTube, SoundCloud and iTunes. And that's all for me. So I would now like to introduce our panelists and welcome them onto the stage. If the panelists could please come onto the stage. So just to quickly introduce our panelists for today, we have Dr. Mol Tessier who is the Executive Director of Business Development at Merck. We have uh, Dr. Allison uh, Aiken, who is the Senior Manager for Content at Top Hat. We have Dr. Michelle Lenarduzzi, who is the Manager at Optimus SPR, a consulting firm. We have Dr. Ryan Doherty, who is the President and Founder of IamSick.ca. And lastly, we have Ms. Daniel Crochet, who is currently a PhD candidate in the Department uh, of Medical Biophysics. So without further ado, I'll turn your please turn your attention to the panels. Hey, thanks, Tony. Um, so my name is Danielle. Uh, some of you may recognize me. I'm a PhD candidate within the department here at Medical Biophysics, and I'll be moderating the panel this evening. Um, the way that the panel is intended to work is that it gives you all an opportunity to ask questions that you have um, for the very diverse panel that the Career Development Association has lined up for you. Uh, you can direct your question at one individual or you can direct your question to the group as a whole and hopefully we can all um, answer those questions as thoroughly and helpfully as possible. Um, the reason that uh, I'm moderating this panel this evening, I think, uh, is not just because I'm a member of the Career Development Association, but also because in addition to being a student of this department, I'm also an alumni of this department. Um, I graduated with a master's from medical biophysics back in 2013. Um, I worked in Dr. Sudan Suzanne Trudell's lab, uh, uh, which is a wet lab, and uh, from there I went on to get a job at a pharmaceutical company called Celgene. 
and I worked in regulatory and medical affairs at Celgene for about two and a half years um, before I decided that I was going to come back to this department and do my PhD. So uh, hopefully I can sort of represent the voice of somebody who has a master's degree and has gone on to have, um, or I guess work, um, after having a master's degree uh, for anybody that is interested in that career path. Um, that's a little bit about me. Uh, I hope, though, that we can now sort of turn to our panelists and hear a little bit more about them. Um, so if you just want to, I guess, start by introducing yourself, uh, what, you, what your uh, position was here with an MVP, and then sort of what you have gone on to do uh, since then. Well, hi, everybody. So I'm Mo Tacey. I graduated from uh, the medical biophysics department in 2006 from the lab of Jim Woodgett. Um, so I did a pretty basic PhD in terms of, you know, looking at a particular kinase that was part of the PI3 kinase pathway. So no industry application really. Um, it was really about kind of cloning that kinase and then characterizing it. So I did that for, you know, five years or so. Um, and then moved to the States. So I currently live in Boston, Massachusetts along with my husband, who's also a medical biophysics alumni. So he graduated in 2004 from the lab of Brian Wilson in uh, doing some work in photodynamic therapy. And he's continued on in the academic track, and he's delighted and happy <laughs> to be doing that. So that's certainly one career path that we may or may not be talking about tonight, but could be satisfying for the right person. Um, and I chose to kind of leave the lab at that, that point. So I um, did not do a postdoc and um, decided to move on to doing business development, business development and licensing, which is what I do currently. So I've been doing that for the last you know, 12 years or so now and started my career in a small biotech company, then work on the academic side for a number of years, um, and then four years ago joined Merck, which is one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Um, and so I'm part of our group that's based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and essentially um, I am responsible for leading oncology partnering within our team. So my role is essentially to find interesting, novel, preclinical stage oncology therapeutics for Merck to supplement its pipeline. So it's trying to find you know, interesting novel assets, whether they're in academia or in small biotech companies, um, including here in Canada, as well as around uh, the New England area of, uh, of the United States. Um, and then it's my job to kind of pitch these proposals to our senior management for approval. So our report into our head of research and development, Roger Perlmutter. Um, so he's our ultimate decision maker about deals we do and deals we don't do. Um, and if we do get approval from that committee, then um, it's my job to also co-lead the negotiation of the agreement that will um, basically govern the relationship, right? And sometimes it's a collaboration, sometimes it's a license, meaning that we essentially paid to get rights into these therapeutics, um, and it could also be an acquisition. So sometimes we propose to acquire an entire company. Um, and then, you know, once we, um, we are successful in negotiating the deal, then there is a separate group called Alliance Management that's really responsible for, you know, bringing the two uh, groups together and uh, really living with the deal and being responsible for the deliverables that go with, um, with these agreements. 
Um, so it's been a really fulfilling career path for, for me. I think if you're a really scientifically curious person, um, it's great because you know you become much more of a generalist, right? So when you do a PhD, you know a very specific topic really, really in depth. And now I'm sort of the complete opposite in the sense that you know, I'm at the forefront of what's going on in oncology discovery really, really broadly. Um, and so I get really excited if I get, you know, a project across my desk that I have not heard about before, right? A brand new target or a brand new modality um, to modulate certain targets, right? Or um, somebody that has kind of a, a wonderful kind of groundbreaking idea, right? That might really change the way patients are being treated in the future. So I will leave it at that for now, and I'm sure there'll be questions later. Uh, hi everybody, I'm Allison. Uh, I finished my PhD in Ramakoka's lab uh, back in 2014, uh, so I'm one of the newer graduates-ish. Um, my PhD was uh, also a very basic science problem. We were looking at a family of proteins called the TIMPs uh, and had the crazy idea to make a quadruple knockout mouse model of the entire family to see what happened. Uh, so that took quite a bit of time, uh, but we got something done. Um, and I realized about halfway through my PhD that I didn't want to stay in academia, but I knew I was really passionate about education. Uh, and I had worked since high school, worked and volunteered at the Ontario Science Centre, uh, doing kids programming and you know teaching kids about science through birthday parties and sleepovers and, and activities there. Uh, and so I had always figured that as soon as I graduated, I would go work at the Science Centre. My long-term dream was to get into the exhibit design department and sort of use uh, my knowledge and love of science to, to reach a broader audience. So I was wrapping up my degree, uh, getting ready to defend. There were a whole bunch of job postings at the Science Centre. I thought this is great. Put my application in, defended, still hadn't heard back. So I asked my boss, like, do you know what's going on with these? Uh, and she said, oh, didn't you hear? There's a job freeze. We're not hiring anybody at all. And I went, oh, I didn't have a plan B. I'd like, been very focused on this is what I'm going to do when I finished. And so it was actually, it turned out to be a great opportunity for me. I got to take some time off and really think about what do I want to do? What are other non-traditional education-related opportunities in the city? Um, and explore some things there. Um, and while I was doing that, actually, I set up my LinkedIn profile. I noticed that uh, a former MVP student who was a few years ahead of me was working at this company called Top Hat. Uh, and it seemed education related, so I met up with him for a coffee to ask him what he was doing, and it sounded really cool. The company uh, was focused on uh, giving professors a better way to interact with their students in university classrooms across North America, um, and was really, um, they'd been around, they were founded in Waterloo, had been around for a bunch of years and were really growing. Uh, and so I kept my eye on their job board, and a few months later I saw there was a posting to help write a biology textbook, an interactive online biology textbook, which I thought was going to be the perfect fit. I applied for the job, um, and as I was applying, I didn't know at the time, but I found out afterwards that project actually fell through. So what happened is uh, Shakeb, who was the one I knew working there, he during that time decided to move to Vancouver to be with his girlfriend, now fiancé, who's also an MVP student, um, and I ended up taking over his job. Uh, or part of what he had been doing. And so when I joined the company, I was the first person there focused on this new experiment of how do we take the lessons, we, lessons we've learned about engaging students in the classroom and how do we apply that to building out-of-classroom materials, so building interactive textbooks. Um, and we, none of us knew what we were doing, so we started with organic chemistry, which in hindsight was a crazy textbook to start with. Uh, but so when I started there, my job was to help build this organic chemistry textbook. Uh, and now about three years later, just over three years later, we've finished uh, 10 big textbooks. We're working on other ways to make textbooks. We're building a content marketplace uh, and a whole bunch of initiatives of, around 
building lower cost, uh, accessible and engaging in content for uh, university students. And so it's been a huge learning opportunity and a really interesting uh, experience for me. And I will be happy to answer questions later. Can everyone hear me okay? All right, so I'm Michelle Lenarduzzi. Um, I graduated from MVP in 2013. Um, and like the others, I also did a very uh, basic science-focused uh, PhD. I looked at uh, different microRNAs and how they function in head and neck cancers. So we took, um, we, we took profiling from patient samples and then we studied them in a laboratory setting. Um, and I would say when I started my PhD, I, I had previously worked in clinical research and I started my PhD thinking that I would want to get into more designing of clinical trials and, and understood to, to do that successfully within industry, um, I would need to have a little bit more education. So that's why I decided to, to do the PhD. Um, so I knew from a very early uh, stage that I was not going to stay in academia. Um, and as a result of that, I got very involved in a lot of student organizations throughout the duration of my PhD. Um, and one of them that I was involved with, um, and still thinking that I would be heading into probably uh, pharmaceutical industry, was the Life Science Career Development Series. And I was at a networking event, uh, hearing very much like a panel of, of uh, previous uh, U of T students, talking about the different uh, uh, careers paths they had chosen. And somebody in the audience, she's sitting right over there, Christine, had told me about uh, a mini MBA program that she had heard about uh, that was being offered by another uh, student organization. It was called the Graduate Management Consulting Association. So for those of you who are not familiar with the association, it's uh, for PhDs and master's students that are looking at alternative careers in management consulting. Um, and as some of you may know, a lot of management consulting firms do hire, uh, they call them advanced degree candidates. So these would be PhDs, masters, they hire lawyers as well. Um, and it's about 30% of the staff in a lot of the major firms. Um, and they're really looking for critical thinkers, and, and, and that's really what they're selling. They're selling people's brains. Um, so I, I did the mini-MBA. Um, I really enjoyed it. Part of the mini-MBA um, had a business case competition, uh, which we had uh, judged that we had consultants that came in and judged the, the uh, mini-MBA, and I just really liked it. Um, and I decided that this would be a really great opportunity for me to enter into another industry um, and learn something a little bit different, but learn how businesses operate. And still, if I decided in the long term to go into pharma, it would still be something that would be really beneficial to myself and my personal development. Um, and I've been now with Optimus SVR uh, for five years as a consultant. Um, I, I, when, I, when I did decide to go into consulting, I, I networked a lot. I met with a lot of different uh, firms. I spoke to people. When I went to networking events, I always made sure that I would connect with people right after. Um, and I chose Optimus SBR because they were offering me uh, work specifically in the healthcare sector. Um, and that was really appealing to me. I still wanted to be working some, to some degree within healthcare. So I work now with uh, clients generally within Canada, uh, but sometimes internationally. And I work with ministries, I work with pharmaceutical companies, med tech companies, um, I work with health service providers, and I work with some nonprofits as well. Um, and we do a, 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 a wide range of different types of projects. So um, if I could describe them, they kind of fall into three categories. The first is really around market research, market access. So how do we get uh, different products, for example, for a med tech or pharma company onto market? Uh, what kind of different risk share or, or agreements can we, can we provide with funders? I also do a lot of strategic planning um, with different companies. And then I also do operational improvement uh, type initiatives. And I'm happy to answer any more questions. 
Hi, everyone. So I'm Ryan. Uh, a few years ago, I completed my PhD uh, in Shira Aerosmith's lab. Uh, my research focused heavily on uh, structural biology. That was a passion of mine. I, uh, I was passionate about proteomics, structural biology, everything about that. My research itself focused on the ubiquitin-like family uh, and ubiquitin-like domains and characterizing them by mainly NMR, but also X-ray crystallography. Um, however, uh, partway through my PhD, I, I, I am still personally passionate about structural biology, but partway through my PhD, I, I recognize an opportunity around um, a gap that currently exists in the Canadian healthcare system. If you think about it, right now Canada is ranked near the bottom when it comes to Commonwealth countries in terms of effective use of funds, access to services, equi equi uh, equity uh, metrics, and the like. And the Canadian healthcare system, about $240 billion is spent every year on that, yet it's being spent inefficiently. And so one thing that I explored when I graduated, uh, and actually slightly before I graduated, was how could I leverage data and information to try to improve the efficiencies around accessing healthcare services so that the many innovations that we're working on in this room, rather than it taking you know, many years to be realized or implemented in real life, uh, could have shorter timeframes and that funds could be available for adopting those innovations and, and funding it. And so um, I never considered myself an entrepreneur. My brother was an entrepreneur, other people I know. It was too risky for me. I loved the academic life. Um, however, being at Mars and exploring this opportunity, I decided to just test, you know, test the water. And I thought, OK, it's a learning experience. After I complete my degree, I'll test, learn, learn a bit about how to run a business, um, the ins and outs of that, uh, trial by error. And then whether I continue to pursue it and grow the business or take another path, there's still an opportunity for that. Uh, thankfully, U of T has about 11 different incubators. Um, and so I pursued one of those. I contacted them. They provided me with a boot camp. I also attended the mini MBA to learn a bit about that. Uh, but more importantly, I spoke to a, a much older U of T alumni um, from Rotman who, who mentioned that I can either spend $50,000 or an equivalent on an MBA, or I can try to put an equivalent amount into my own business and learn by doing. And so I kind of took that approach. Um, the first couple years of starting the business, uh, I spoke to a couple of VCs, looked at, the, looked at um, the traditional route of you know, pitching your idea, getting investment, and growing it that way. Um, but I recognized that if you build a data-driven business that doesn't require a lot of equipment, then you can be very lean. And so I took the lean approach while holding on to pretty much most of the equity and instead looked at grants and other funding res uh, opportunities. And there's a lot of this now, uh, which I can speak to later on. Um, and instead grow the business organically, bringing on clients that included government. Uh, now we have major like insurance companies, uh, medical labs, other chains, healthcare, uh, healthcare professionals, family doctors, pharmacies that are subscribing to the services that we sort of built over these past few years. Um, we're, we're about to reach the next step of hopefully raising a bit more money so we can accelerate that growth to compete in this market. Uh, but essentially, this data-driven business that I've described um, is something that I, we position our company to empower patients so a patient can use an app to just find the nearest healthcare service that's available to them. Right now, a lot of patients don't necessarily have a family doctor. You can go to our app and find a family doctor on like a Google Map type of experience that is accepting patients. 
Uh, a lot of patients now cannot book appointments with their family doctors or see walk-in clinic wait times. You can use our, our app for that as well. Um, however, one challenge that we faced was we have this solution, this product that we're building, but who pays for it, right? Um, I tried you know, knocking on Queen's Park, the Ministry of Health is just around the corner, uh, figuring out the public sector was the route to go, uh, but they have their own challenges around procurements and priorities, uh, and so the timing wasn't right for that, and so that's where I had to find other types of clients, uh, like the ones that I just mentioned, the, the more in the private sector, to help support our growth. Um, and essentially right now, we are Canada-wide, you, I just returned from Vancouver. You can use our app pretty much anywhere from coast to coast. Uh, this Canada Day, you can use it to find out holiday hours for walk-in clinics, um, medical labs, pharmacies, um, and it will just grow from there. And so if anyone has any questions about entrepreneurship, I'm more than willing to, to share the, the war stories and the, the battle scars uh, that I've experienced these past few years. Uh, but I think the main thing regardless of what path we take, whether it's entrepreneurship or anything else, uh, the most important thing is that it's aligned with your passion. The only way that I've been able to, you know, see, uh, to realize my goals with the business right now is because I've been passionate about it as much, as passionate as, as I was completing my PhD uh, and that type of research. Um, and so find out what you're passionate about, figure out, so what are the different types of career paths that are associated with that? Uh, and you've heard about these other passions here as well. Um, and then, you know, figure things out from there. But I think the most important thing should still be that, that passion because that is the driver that will get you through those, those challenges or the plan Bs or the different scenarios that you don't expect. Super. Um, so I guess I'll just finish that up then with giving a little bit more detail about what my experience was um, having graduated with a master's degree. Um, so uh, when I graduated, I actually was hired on to work as a technician for a few months with my supervisor. Uh, and she's a clinician, so she worked quite closely with a lot of pharmaceutical companies. Um, and one of her colleagues actually worked for uh, Celgene, which is, again, a, a pharmaceutical company that markets um, drugs uh, for the disease that I studied. So I studied multiple myeloma with her, looking at preclinical um, studies for novel small molecule STAT3 inhibitors. Um, and it just so happened that there was an opening in the regulatory affairs department in Celgene. Um, and I applied, uh, and as anyone who works in pharma will know, it takes months to apply for a job in pharma. You have to go through many different interviews. Um, and in January of the following year, I was offered the job of a drug safety specialist um, on contract with Celgene. And so with that job, it entailed um, basically looking at adverse event reports that came in for marketed products or from clinical trials uh, for drugs that um, Celgene um, had in their portfolio, and then deciding whether or not uh, those adverse events needed to be reported to Health Canada. So there's a, a set of rules um, that you have to follow in order for to determine whether or not an adverse event is uh, requires reporting to um, our um, healthcare uh, governor. So. Um, it, within about a month, um, I was offered a permanent position at the company, and then within another six months, I was offered a promotion to have a hybrid position. So um, I would do uh, literally one week in drug safety in that same position, and then in the next week, I would now become a medical information specialist. So that was a, within the department, or the or sorry, the medical affairs department of the company. And in that role, my job was to provide information to healthcare professionals, so pharmacists, nurses, doctors, um, as well as patients for um, any of our products. Um, if, they, if a pharmacist had questions about 
um, dosing or if a physician had a question about the use of a drug in a different indication, then the medical information department was there in order to provide that information for them. Um, and probably about a year and a half into my job at Celgene, um, I guess speaking to sort of what Ryan just said, it just didn't feel like it was aligning with my passion for, for sort of learning and for the biology of things. Um, and so I literally had a, a whiteboard at home that I put ticks in. Whenever I was having a good day at Celgene, I would put a tick in the Celgene box. And whenever I was having a bad day at Celgene, I would put a tick in the PhD box. Um, and within uh, a year's time, the PhD box was overwhelmingly full. So I decided to apply back to the department to do my PhD. And uh, that was uh, two years ago. So here I am. Um, but I just it, feel like I need to be clear about the fact that my role in pharmaceutical industry, um, I didn't at any time feel like I was limited by having a master's degree. I didn't feel like I needed a PhD degree um, to um, exceed or in that um, position or in um, other departments of the company. Uh, they have really great development programs for their um, for their employees. So. Um, don't think that I left because I felt like I had hit a ceiling. It's just that it wasn't, um, as you said, sort of just aligning with, with my goals and, and with my passions. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I think at this time, we want to open up the floor to all of you. Um, if you have questions for the panelists um, in particular or to the group as a whole, um, please feel free to uh, shout them out or raise your hand or whatever you feel most comfortable with. Um, I'm Sarah. I'm a PhD student um, in, I think, crossing my fingers my last year. Um, but my question is on passion and how you find that passion. I think it's easier later on to know what your passion is, but when you're in the thick of finishing up and being really busy with that, there are, you know, I don't know what kind of avenues there are to explore passion. So if any of you can speak on that. I can start. I'm sure we have thoughts on that throughout the panel. Um, so yeah, so I think it was probably within my last you know, year and a half or so of my graduate work that I decided that I was going to leave the lab, but the question was, what was I going to do with my life, <laughs> essentially? Um, and I really went through this whole exploration. So you know, at the time, I had read a book that was called Leaving the Ivory Tower, something like that, right? That might be in its multiple editions by now. Um, but it was really helpful, right? It was little chapters about folks who had had PhDs or graduate level science degrees and had gone on to do other things. And it was the whole gamut. It was like medical writing. It was, it was something about business development. It was consulting. There was, you know, it was the whole, the whole gamut. Um, so doing things like that, you know, doesn't take a whole lot of effort, doesn't take a whole lot of time and can kind of at least get you started, right? Because I think there are some things that you can clearly say, eh, I'm not interested in this. Or there might be a few things that really jump out at you that you want to explore further. So for me, I think that was a helpful kind of starting point. Um, and then I went through a lot of informational interviews. Um, you know, a, a forum like this is a good place to, to start. But, you know, people really like talking about what they do if they love it. And so <laughs> I actually found it was pretty easy to just cold call or cold email people that have a certain job that you think sounds interesting. Um, and if you phrase it as, you know, I'm a graduate student, I'm looking at my options, I'm graduating soon, I want to leave the lab, you know, tell me about what you do. 
um, you know, the worst case, no, you know, that person won't call you back or won't email you back, you know, so what? Um, <laughs> but I would say in 95% of the cases at least, I got an answer back, right? And so people, whether it's here in Toronto, in Boston, um, where I am now, right? Folks are really generous with their, their time, I thought. Um, and hopefully that, that continues. And, you know, now that I am, you know, later on in my career, um, I try to kind of give back, right? And, and, and do it for others because I always appreciated that people did it for me back then. Um, and I also did a few other things. So at the Rotman School of Management here at the time, they had a one-year class that was an elective class where they had kind of half of the class were PhD students and half of the class were MBA students and it was a, you know, healthcare industry type of uh, class and at the end there was also kind of like a business plan type of um, assignment where, you know, the teams were obviously kind of interdisciplinary, right, and, and working on putting um, a project together. So I think that was also really helpful to just kind of get a sense of, you know, the industry at large. Um, and then I also did a part-time internship at the UHN um, Technology Transfer Office. And that was also helpful. That was unpaid. I don't know if <laughs> they're more generous now, but, um, but it, was, it was helpful, right, to spend sort of a day or so, um, a week, you know, with one of the licensing managers and get to see sort of what that kind of career path is like, right? How do you do an assessment of a new invention that comes out of the medical biophysics department, how you do patent searches, you know, what's, what's in a patent, <laughs> what is a patent. Um, so a lot of that, you know, foundational work um, was really helpful for, for me at least to get started. And so by the time I left Toronto to move to Boston, I knew that business development licensing was the career path that I wanted to have. So, you know, in a year and a half or so, I kind of figured out that that was, for me at least, what seemed to be the, the better fit. Um, and I really like how my job is sort of very diverse, right? So I always joke that, you know, in business development, we all have undiagnosed ADHD because, you know, any day is completely different. You know, no two days are alike. Um, you get, you know, preclinical scientific data, you know, from my personal role, um, you know, from a new biotech company, you can be negotiating a, a contract, you can be, you know, talking to an attorney about what's in a patent, you know, you could be going to networking events, scientific conferences, um, so, you know, it, it kind of runs the whole, um, the whole spectrum, so, um, so for me, I think that was really exciting. Um, and then, you know, the way I ended up doing my transition was completely um, serendipitous. So what happened too during my kind of informational interview phase is that I kind of got the sense of um, from various you know folks that you know joining a small biotech company was a good way of getting a lot of experience quickly. So that was my strategy when I moved to Boston. I basically decided you know similarly to what you were doing saying you know maybe I can join a small biotech company as a bench scientist and you know maybe contribute that way at first and then maybe get some opportunity either part-time or full-time to kind of move to another part of of the company, especially that obviously in a small organization there's more flexibility, right, um, and less structure. Um, but I was really lucky that I was able to make the, you know, full-time business development transition right away. Um, and I had a list of small biotech companies in the Cambridge area. Um, and I literally walked around the neighborhood and literally knocked on doors 
because you know one thing that will probably come out eventually in this panel discussion is that having a network is really important, like whether it's in BD or in otherwise, right? And you, you talked about sort of your, your relationship with, uh, with somebody here that helped you get a lead. But, um, and so, so because I didn't know anyone, right? Uh, besides my husband that I mentioned earlier. Um, otherwise, right, I, I didn't really have any business sort of relationships there. And so that was really the only way that I was gonna find something, or at least I felt at the time. And so I showed up, you know, unannounced to this small biotech company called Xanthus Pharmaceuticals. Turns out they were looking for a junior BD person to be the right hand um, of their chief business officer. The job wasn't advertised anywhere. They didn't have an HR person to begin with. Um, and so, um, so it's one of those things where, you know, they were looking for somebody that had my profile and I was there the right time at the right place, right? So I'm not necessarily advocating that everybody takes, you know, such a bold, bold step. Um, but at least for me, right, the lesson was that, you know, sometimes you kind of have to put yourself out there and create opportunities for yourself if you're really convinced that this is something that you want to do. Um, I think for me, as I sort of alluded to, I was a little bit less proactive uh, and more reactive in some cases with figuring out what my passion was. For me, I'd known um, for a long time that I was interested in the education part, so that part was sort of easier. But figuring out what what I liked, what I didn't like, what I wanted, at least in a first job out of school, and what I didn't want out of a first job in school, um, I reflected back a lot on my experiences, both in the lab and outside of the lab. So um, I was very involved in MVP when I was here, had a lot of amazing opportunities and experiences through being part of the MVP GSU. Um, and sort of as I was looking back on what are the things I've done and what did I like, there were certain patterns that emerged. So I really liked doing project-based work, where I could start something and see an end to something. Conversely, one of the things I found challenging in the lab was that my project went on for a long time and I didn't necessarily see the progress in it. So as I looked at what I'd done, it was easier for me that way to pick out what are some of the things I want. And then since I had the education piece there, um, marrying those two, uh, once the science center wasn't available, I didn't know, as I mentioned, didn't know what opportunities there were, but I had a vague idea of these are the qualities I'm looking for in a, in a job and here's the type of uh, place I might want to work and left it very open. So I never would have predicted that I'd end up uh, in the tech industry at a startup. Uh, never would have predicted sort of the, the path I've taken now from going from starting this very experimental project to now managing a team of people. Um, but I started with sort of two things I knew I liked. I had my passion and I had some characteristics of the job that I thought I would enjoy and then uh, sort of went from there. Yeah, I would say that um, as students of, of, of U of T, there's a lot of opportunity to get involved in a, in a number of different organizations, and I alluded to a few of them when I gave my introduction. So uh, for me, I knew that I didn't want to stay in academia. I knew I wanted to do something that had a bit more of a business focus, but still involved in some aspect of healthcare. Um, but I, th I found that joining certain organizations, exposing myself to things that I might not know a lot about, was how I found my passion and, and actually being involved in doing the mini MBA case competition is how I found my passion. And once I found that, then I started honing on, on developing those types of skills. So um, I, I took the Mars Entrepreneurship 101. Even though I wasn't starting a business, I knew I was going to learn opportunities about um, how you run a business. And that was very, very um, 
helpful to me when I went through my interviews. I got a lot of questions about that, how I liked the program, uh, what I learned from it. I also took the uh, Rotman Healthcare Consulting course where they had a couple of PhDs and that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I got to work with a diverse uh, group of people. Um, but I think that it's, it's sometimes hard to figure out exactly what you want to do until you know kind of what's out there. So as students, I think you have an opportunity to come to discussions like this, to hear what others are doing, um, and then start kind of thinking about what makes sense for you. Um, you have a lot of resources at your disposal. At U of T, through Mars, there are a lot of these different uh, sessions, courses, workshops that you can attend, meetups. And for me, I, I leveraged that. I attended a lot of those. Um, I also, similar to what was mentioned before, reached out to a lot of people. I'd attend an event, meet someone there, send them an email or a LinkedIn message asking to meet up for coffee, uh, mentioning that I'm a student finishing up, I'm curious about the space. Everyone from a CEO to a MP to a pretty much any discipline, any sector, people would respond. Um, they have five minutes, they have 10 minutes. Uh, they might be busy at that time. If you reconnect with them a number of months later, they might have time then. Um, and so don't feel bad if they don't respond, but feel free to, to ping them again. Um, in terms of I, finding my passion, what I appreciated most about some of those events was the, the personal journeys, the life stories. Um, I attended Mars Entrepreneurship 101, and I loved hearing about all the different entrepreneurs that have had so many different life journeys. Um, they were not business people. They were maybe 40, 50 later on in their lives, and they come up with a spark, uh, come up with an idea and pursue that business, and then it becomes second cup, or then it becomes some other famous brand that you might recognize nowadays. Um, and so hearing their stories uh, really helped me. But I think the, the last piece of passion for myself personally is that like I was passionate about the research that I was doing through my PhD. So like, you know, to put in the long hours, to think about it when you go to bed at night, uh, to, to have that challenge or that problem that you need to think through. And what, what are other things that you would enjoy thinking about after hours rather than checking the clock nine to five? Are there any passions or anything else that, um, you know, that you'd want to pursue? Or, or the other thing that's, that I've noticed is quite common amongst entrepreneurs is having an impact. So, I'm having an impact with what we're doing with our app. We're building something that the Ministry of Health doesn't yet have uh, or that doesn't yet exist, and it's helping patients access services uh, and helping providers deliver care. And so uh, fr from an entrepreneurial lens, I'm looking to see, so um, how can I align my interest in healthcare uh, with that impact? And how do I leverage my knowledge of data and technology to, to, to realize that? Hey. It's uh, fantastic to hear that you all have very uh, fulfilling career paths right now that you feel very passionate about. I guess I, my question is, if you had to pinpoint perhaps one thing about what it is that you do, either by virtue of the company that you work at or the field that you work in, what would that be? One thing that kind of maybe you don't like so much about your jobs? No. Why are you pressing me to mic? That doesn't seem fair. Just kidding. Um, so the question, if I heard it correct, would I like the least? about my job. Well, this is being videotaped, if I'm correct, so I have to be careful about what I say. Um, no, but I mean, I work for a large organization, right? So Merck is an American-based company, but we have you know, sites across the, the world, and we have about 70,000 employees worldwide. Um, I'm part of a group of seven people in Boston, but our team of seven is part of a group of about 75 people worldwide that do 
similarly, you know, similar jobs than what I described earlier, but in other parts of the globe, right? So we try to really cover the entire world in terms of innovation. Um, and so that has its challenges, right? Um, Communication is a big problem. Coordination is a big problem. Um, you know, we try our best to kind of make the process as streamlined and as efficient as we possibly can, right? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm on the oncology side, right? So it's obviously a very competitive area, right? I think if, if an academic scientist has an interesting new drug for multiple myeloma, for instance, or if a small biotech company has an immuno-oncology asset, which is obviously the hot new thing, including our own Merck drug, Keytruda, um, you know, it won't be available for long, right? So there's also this like very, you know, sensitive time pressure to be kind of mindful of, right? So you can't get stuck into a lot of red tape or a lot of processes um, or too many committees of people who want to weigh in or want to decide. <laughs> and so I would say, you know, for me, that's the, the most challenging part of the job, right? It's just that it's a large organization and it's sometimes a challenge to get, you know, things done in a way that, um, you know, you feel would be kind of a little bit more straightforward. I would say sort of two things. So one of them is when I started at Top Hat um, and I was building textbooks, so a big part of my job was working with our authors every week. So I got to have weekly calls with profs from across North America um, and really got to build really nice relationships with them, get to know them, their families. And um, now that I'm in a more managerial role, that's something I don't have anymore as part of my day to day. I get to talk to them here and there, but not as frequently. Uh, and so that's something I definitely miss uh, in the position I'm in right now. Uh, the other thing I would say that's definitely a challenge, and again, sort of double-edged sword. So Top Hat is a very uh, fast-growing startup. When I started uh, just over three years ago, we were around 110, 115 people, and we're currently around 300 people. So a lot of change in a relatively small amount of time, uh, things moving at a really fast pace. The upside to that is you have the opportunity to make a big impact, to do a ton of work, and really see things come to fruition very, very quickly. Um, you know, went from having, we hadn't made a single textbook to over 50,000 students across North America have used books that we produce in the span of three years, which is amazing. Uh, the downside to that is that it's a lot of work and it's very intensive um, and similar to grad school, work-life balance is not always sort of top of the list uh, in the role, so that's something that's a challenge for me. I would say as a consultant, um, just balancing work and life is definitely a challenge at times. Um, at any given time, I could be working from four to six, sometimes even more projects, um, which is fine if the, if the uh, deliverables don't land on the same day, but sometimes you get a really, really busy week and you have to put in extremely long hours. It's stressful. The team is, is, is uh, stretched. Um, and that can be challenging. It, it, it certainly can, but there's other times that you know are not as busy, um, and you have to kind of. I, what I found in, in as a consultant, you you have to enjoy the times that are low, and then just work hard the times that are busy, um, and you learn a, a ton. And as a result of working on multiple projects, I've done a lot of different things, different types of projects across different industries. So that's the advantage of it, but it does have its downside for sure. Um, as an entrepreneur, the challenges that I face are quite similar to the challenges that a, a PI faces. It's around have, be, being a boss, uh, being responsible for the rest of the team, um, and also, more importantly, like you know, being very focused on financing. 
whether it's coming from clients to, to bring in those dollars from, in terms of revenue or investors, uh, and also having the full responsibility of the team. And when someone else on the team has a problem, you know, they'd have to likely come to me or, or their lead if there is a lead in that case. Um, and so it's those responsibilities, but at the same time, too, um, there, there's a lot of benefit that does come from, you know, being your own boss in terms of setting the destiny uh, of that company and what you pursue. So I guess I can round out that question as well. Um, so the company that I worked for was a, and this is the same, I think, with a lot of the bigger pharmaceutical companies, but it was in a, a Canadian affiliate, um, but had its head offices in New Jersey in the U.S., um, and so a lot of the times it felt as if our department could be somewhat siloed from the bigger corporation as a whole. So I found that really challenging and you, you kind of see it here as well, you know, whenever we hear in presentations approval from the FDA, but it's, it's not from the FDA here, it's from Health Canada. So there was our own sets of challenges being a Canadian affiliate that um, I wonder whether or not those would be faced working in sort of the bigger head office setting. And I think that sort of leads into a question that I have for you about um, making the decision to move to um, what I can only assume is the head office with Merck in the US um, compared to staying in Canada because um, they, they have an office here um, as well. So, um, so I've mentioned my husband at the beginning. <laughs> I'll mention him again. Um, so he graduated about a year and a half before I did, and he was really keen on doing a postdoc at, um, at Harvard, the Wellman's Photonic Center at Mass General Hospital. And so he moved down there, and then when I graduated, I, I followed. Um, and you know, our original plan, candidly, was to stay there for a couple of years while he did his postdoc, and then he did another postdoc. <laughs> Two more years. Um, and then, you know, he was lucky enough to get um, a tenure-track academic position in a really well-respected university in town. Um, now he's a tenured professor. Um, you know, he has his own lab. He has two R01 grants, which are, you know, large NIH-based grants. He's doing really well. Um, and similarly for me, right, I moved down there thinking, well, obviously I'm going to join my husband. And, um, and at the same time, knowing that I wanted to make this career transition to business development, I thought, you know, Boston, Cambridge, you know, it is still, right, the number one biotech cluster in the world. Um, I was telling this to a student before the panel, sort of within like a, an, you know, a two kilometer radius in Cambridge where I work, there's literally 250 companies. So. Um, it is a very intense, you know, concentrated area, um, but, and there's, a, you know, opportunities that perhaps I would not have gotten if I stayed here, um, but, you know, potentially right in the future, we never say never, our whole family is here, um, you know, my mom's in Montreal, you know, my in-laws live in the suburbs here of Toronto, so I do come back pretty often as well. Um, and, you know, time will tell, right, I think it's one of those things where, we felt like we got, I think, the kind of opportunities there in Cambridge, at least, you know, 10 years ago, maybe here were more challenging. Um, you know, from me having returned as, you know, a Merck employee now here in Canada as of, you know, last year, um, covering Toronto and Montreal as well as, you know, the Northeast of the U.S. You know, things have changed a lot here in the 10 years. You know, the Mars building wasn't, you know, up when I was here or, you know, it was kind of barely getting constructed. And so, so I do get the sense that there's a lot of momentum here in terms of, you know, creating one of these clusters, right? Um, and there seems to be kind of a good blend of, you know, entrepreneurs and basic scientists and, um, 
you know, various kind of venture funds, in particular Versant, right, the Blue Line Biosciences that has a, an office in the Mars building or trying to do great, great things based on, you know, IP from Canadian investigators. Um, so I do get the sense there's a lot of momentum here, right? And so hopefully one day I will be back permanently. I can just make one comment because I have, uh, I, part of being part of the GMCA is I have a lot of friends that are consultants that were PhDs. We all graduated around the same time. And I chose to stay in Canada. A number of them have chosen um, to move elsewhere. So a lot of them are working in the States right now. And I would say that uh, the market, from, from what I can observe from, from their experiences, is larger. So there's more opportunities. So they, they have landed some pretty uh, unique opportunities within the United States. But they were also willing to move. Um, so it, I think it really comes down to also thinking about what makes sense for you personally as well. Um, I think there's, there are great opportunities in Canada, but as, as you know, the U.S. market is quite large as well. Yeah, I would add to that a little bit. I mean, Cambridge is, as I've mentioned, you know, very busy. So it is great that there are a lot of companies there, and it's great that there's a lot of competition um, in terms of, you know, there's the ecosystem. Um, but it's also not so great because everybody else is there, right? So if there is, so I, you know, to give you an example, um, before I worked at Merck, I worked at Boston Children's Hospital, which is a Harvard Medical School affiliated institution. Um, so I worked there, I was leading business development and marketing for, for them. So doing a similar job, but you know, obviously promoting Boston Children's um, innovation rather than Merck's. Um, and I had a, created a, a team of people um, to kind of work with me in this, this regard. And so I had a junior position that I created and I wanted somebody, you know, straight out of the lab, but that had great potential. You know, that was literally my, my two criterias. Um, and I literally got probably like close to 250 resumes. And that was for, you know, one very junior position that, you know, candidly wasn't necessarily the best position out there, right? Um, and so I think just, you know, there is a bigger market, but at the same time, it's very competitive, right? And so, which brings me back to kind of the concept of networking, right? Because what ended up happening is I had this giant pile of resumes, and I did not know what to do with them as a first-time manager. I don't know if you've had this experience as well, right? It's very hard to just by looking at a one or two page document, kind of figure out who is this person? Can I work with this person? Is there a fit with my team? Are they bringing you know, the value that I, I want to bring to build my group? Um, and so then it became a matter of, you know, that was I recognizing anyone in this pile? Had I met anyone before? Um, and actually I ended up hiring um, someone who, I think it was two years before I was recruiting. Um, I had met him through an informational interview. He had reached out for me, you know, to me, kind of out of the blue, asking me about, you know, what I was doing, and um, and you know, in the end, I ended up hiring him, and you know, he's moved on to bigger, better things as well. And so, uh, so it's been great to see that happening, right? But it has its pros and cons, right? Bigger volume of jobs, but then there's also a higher number of applicants sometimes. So that's could be tricky. Okay, does anyone else have a question from the group? Hi there. Uh, I'm Kevin. I just graduated actually last week with my master's degree, so all of your advice is very relevant uh, right now. Uh, it's wonderful to see that there are so many people that kind of scatter and branch out to different fields, but kind of knowing that you all came from the same department, I'm kind of wondering what you think is most, what was the most relevant skills you learned 
in your graduate degrees? And because again, so many of you are involved in industry, I'm just wondering what what industry relevant skills you developed while you were at MBP. Um, so I can start. Um, I would say one of the big things that's at least helped me be very successful in my career is uh, critical thinking skills. So I think that's important for any job, uh, particularly as a consultant, it's very important. Um, I would say the other thing that, that you develop as a, as a PhD student or a master's student is you have to present a lot. You have to defend your position, uh, your research all the time. And that's a very, very important and core skill that will help you in any job uh, that you decide to go forward with in the future. So I think those are, those are things that, um, that not everyone develops through their educational training, but I think that we in this program does a really great job of that. And I know the committee meetings are not always the most fun things to go through, um, but they do represent similar things that you will go through in a business setting for sure. And you'll have to defend your position and why you need evidence to uh, make certain recommendations. I need to be very confident um, in what you're, and, and know the background of what you're talking about. So that is a core skill. And yeah, I, I can. That, that's pretty much aligned with what I was thinking as well, uh, because uh, and from my conversations both with clients as well as investors and, and partners, um, they see value in that compared to another entrepreneur who doesn't have that, you know, that rigorous background and training that, that that you get during your master's or PhD here around how you present information, the level of confidence and and the information to back that up. Um, there's, a, there's an added level of trust that, that they see in how, how I present information uh, versus um, you know, s someone who uh, may not necessarily do as deep of a dive uh, in terms of what they want to plan out and, and accomplish. I was also going to say critical thinking and presentation skills, <laughs> but uh, maybe to add on this too, I think what's really unique about medical biophysics is how interdisciplinary the department is. Um, you know, having been in the States for a while, I haven't seen another department like this anywhere else where, you know, there's, you know, basic biologists or structural biologists, there's some engineering types doing like medical imaging type of research, right? Um, and all of that under one umbrella I found is very unique. Um, and for me, right, now that I have, you know, the job I described earlier, um, you know, it's my job to sort of, you know, be abreast of what's going on in the oncology space and keep on top of the new discoveries and what might be coming next in, you know, five years, 10 years. Um, and so, you know, the fact that I feel like my training has been much broader than when, what my actual PhD was in, I think has really, really helped me um, be successful in my career, right? Um, obviously, you can't be an expert at everything, but at least, right, I feel like I have the training where I know instinctively somehow, sort of what questions to ask, you know, what data to look for, and it kind of doesn't really matter what the actual topic is, right? I think if you have kind of foundational knowledge along those lines, you, you can kind of apply it to any problem or any area. So for me, I think the interdisciplinary nature of this department is really unique and I think has really been important to my success. I would say in addition to what the other panelists have mentioned, one of the things I heard a lot while I was in grad school and like really didn't believe was problem solving skills. I thought everyone can do that, you know, not a big deal, like sure they say we get it, it's not real. And I have been so surprised and proven so wrong uh, in my time at Top Hat, especially being in a startup environment where 
things are moving quickly, where we're doing stuff that no one's necessarily done before in the same way. It's a lot of experimentation and it's a lot of figuring out, okay, here's something new we haven't dealt with before. What do we do about it? And I have been consistently surprised with how naturally it comes to me to say, okay, here's the problem. Have we tried this? What about this? What about this? No, that doesn't make sense. And sort of work through um, an approach to figuring out how to solve it or, or how to go about uh, looking at the problem. Um, so that's something I've noticed a lot. And also, I would agree with the presentation skills. I've been talking to my team a lot lately around um, not just putting up slides, but your slide should always have a message on it, which is something that Rama had taught me and going to student seminars had taught me. Um, so some things that I didn't believe when I was in the department have actually proven to be very true now that I've left it. So I'll just wrap that up by saying, so I, um, as I said, during my master's, I worked um, in the wet lab. And so I did a lot of Western blots, a lot of MTT assays, worked with a lot of cell lines, and had to do a lot of troubleshooting. And I think that that really served me well going into my position, um, because it sort of gave me a perspective um, that I could look at the processes that went on in my, in my job and, and think of ways that they could be better. How can they be more efficient, not accepting sort of like the status quo of, of how they were down in the past, um, and I think that that's something that um, I was really only able to kind of have that perspective on because of um, the hours and hours and hours and hours that you sit and repeat your experiments and think about them. So I think that I really carried that forward. Sorry, um, so I've been coming in and out, so if this question has been asked already, I can just leave. Um, <laughs> So a PhD is very dynamic with many challenges throughout your career. Do you find that working in your respective industries has provided the same degree of challenges to fuel your ambition or has it plateaued for any of you and are you seeking maybe a career change now? Because some of you may have been working at the same place for several years now. Yeah, that's an interesting one for me. Um, I mean, I've stayed within the business development career path you know, the whole time. Um, and as I've described, I worked for three organizations that were all very different, right? So I worked for a small biotech company, worked in academia, and now I work for a big pharma company. So, you know, I've stayed in the business development path, but I tend to get bored, like, after a few years. I'm one of these people who just, like, always need to learn new things, and if I don't get the sense that I'm, you know, growing, um, professionally, right, I feel like it's time to move on, right? And so, you know, I, I've tended to stay maybe four years, you know, plus, plus or minus um, in each organization, right, to try to get sort of a, a glimpse into each of these sectors of, you know, the overall life science industry, right? Um, and so for me, that's how I've kind of continued to learn and grow is, you know, by leveraging my business development experience, but doing it in different environments, right? Um, and as I described at the beginning, you know, business development is really broad of a role. And so, you know, in terms of the different activities that you're doing, what you're responsible for, that can also vary quite a bit depending on which, you know, which organization you're, you're in. Um, the other thing is, you know, Business development is really sort of at the core of what I've been doing, but I've done a number of other, I would say, tangential um, skills along the way, right? So as an example, when you do business development, you have to know a lot about IP. You know, I'm not a patent attorney, but, you know, I was responsible for managing, you know, hundreds of patents when I joined Boston Children's originally, um, and then eventually, you know, negotiated contracts 
for rights to those IP portfolios. Um, so, you know, I spent a couple of years doing IP management, you know, that still falls within kind of the broad, you know, umbrella of business development, right? Um, um, so, you know, I've been able to do that and then when I worked in biotech, in addition to my business development hat, I was also wearing a program manager hat, so the company had five different programs in clinical development and the CEO decided that he was going to nominate five lucky winners to, uh, to be program managers of each of the five programs to make sure that they were moving more swiftly. So I ended up um, managing a phase three oncology asset that we had in license from a big pharma company. Um, and we got it approved by the FDA in the US, which was really exciting too. Um, so, you know, I think if you, if you put yourself in situations where, you know, you can kind of continue to learn and grow, whether it's by, you know, moving to a different environment or, you know, being an, inst an institution that will give you some chances, right, like yourselves or, you know, a small biotech company where there's a lot of flexibility, you can certainly always kind of keep yourself interested, right? So for me, business development is definitely what I love to do. I love bringing people together, right? Um, and setting up these collaborations, but there's a lot of varied skills around it that makes it really unique and interesting to me. Um, for me, I haven't had too much of a chance to get bored yet. Things have been moving so fast and changing and, and growing at Top Hat uh, that it's been uh, very consistently challenging and, and lots to learn. I feel like I've sort of accelerated a career that uh, in another environment might have taken five or ten years into the last sort of three. Um, but uh, to, to something you mentioned, uh, one of the things I've noticed, and I don't know if this is equally true across all business environments, but it's something I've definitely seen uh, at Top Hat, when someone has an idea and takes the initiative, whether it's for an efficiency or for something they see or just an idea that they have that they want to run with, um, that's almost always very, very well regarded. Uh, it also generally sets that person up for future career moves. So um, I think making those opportunities for yourself, if, if the environment you're in allows for, um, will both keep you engaged and sort of uh, open up new doors for you afterwards. So I would say as a consultant, uh, you don't tend to really get bored of the job because there's so many different types of engagements that you're working on. Um, so I think it's almost the opposite challenge. You start, you, you, especially as you start, you start very broad, and then as you kind of become more seasoned as a consultant, you start focusing on areas that you like to do. Um, so I would say at this point in my career, I'm starting to get to that to that that point where I'm starting to figure out what projects do I like, what industries do I like, and how can I build that part of the business um, internally within the firm. And, and what I didn't mention is that Optimus SBR is one of the fastest growing professional service companies. Um, it is run by entrepreneurs. They are consult like they're not consultants, they're entrepreneurs, so they will take any idea you have and kind of let you build that out. So there's a lot of opportunity for that. Um, but I would say, you know, Right now, what I'm looking to do is I'm very interested in the med tech and pharma industry. That's part of the business that I've been working on building out. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm just kind of watching how that plays out, putting, putting my best foot forward. Um, and, and you know, if we're not winning enough engagements in that, then I might think about, okay, well, maybe it's time for a career, a career change uh, for me. And I would say the other thing with consulting is you can consult for a little bit, go into industry, and then go back. Um, and it's very well regarded because you're bringing a level of expertise back to a consulting firm that's, that's very valuable to them. So there is always that opportunity and I've seen quite a few people that have done that in their career as well. 
Um, so as an entrepreneur, there's always challenges, and the challenges are always changing. Um, the, you know, from the get-go, there's a challenge of having a team, seeing an idea through. Uh, but then as we progress, like more recently, uh, I brought on our first director of sales. And so I was able to sort of offload that whole management, the sales team and everything else like that to this other person. Um, and so, but there are new challenges there around, you know, bringing on someone to, in that position, trusting them um, and the like. And then the other thing about entrepreneurship is that, um, like pretty much at every stage from bootstrapped, being lean, bringing on investment, growing your team, bringing on investors, um, having your, going to IPO and you know, being responsible to the public that invest in you on the stock exchange, uh, straight through to even um, as an entrepreneur making the decision of do I continue to pursue this, this business that I have or do I take an exit? Do I, be, you know, do I make the decision to be acquired by a larger company um, which might keep me on in a leadership role within the business, within that company for a short period of time and have that sort of um, comfort net of their larger budget to support that business? Or, or do I pursue a different business? And I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs that have, had, that have struggled and have gone to work for the Ministry of Health based on the knowledge that they gained while starting a healthcare technology business. Or they've gone back to academia or any other path. And nowadays, uh, when it comes to failures in business and entrepreneurship, it's, it's no longer frowned upon. It's a learning experience. Uh, it's a realization that, you know, life, things happen, timing of the market, there's all these factors at play. Um, and these influences, you know, these influence that path and that journey in that moment. Um, so, but, yes, but so in terms of personally for myself, um, I'm seeing things through. Uh, I, I recognize all the challenges that I have ahead of me, uh, but more importantly, with all these challenges, it's looking for that network, looking for people who have been there, done it before, uh, looking for advisors, both formal or informal, to, to help you through those challenges so that you're not doing it on your own. Great. Um, so I think we have time for one more question. Hi, thank you for sharing all the, your insight. Uh, I guess to conclude, I was wondering if you can share one piece of career advice that you found to be most important to you. I keep giving it to you to go first. Um, so I think what I try to keep in mind, I'm not really sure if I'm the best person to speak about career advice because I feel like I'm not really in the pursuit of my career at the very moment, but um, I just think not being afraid of making changes. Um, that just to keep an open mind. I think a lot of us sort of grew up in an environment where you know, our parents might have had one job for their entire lives, one position, and I don't really think that uh, that's the case anymore, and it doesn't have to be the case anymore. There's so many exciting, obviously different um, types of jobs and companies and industries that you can work in, so just to sort of not be afraid um, of uh, making big changes. Um, Yeah, I think I've mentioned the importance of network earlier, and it's been mentioned a few other times, but it, I think regardless of the path that you take, I think that for me would be my number one advice. Um, network is important if you're you know, trying to figure out what your best path is going to be. It's helpful if you're you know, thinking of leaving your current job and you're looking for maybe leads about you know, what else you might be able to do in the near term. Um, it's good to just keep track of you know, who's in your network and to your point, right? people move around a lot these days. LinkedIn is great you know, to make sure that you keep track of where people are. 
um, that's a really useful tool. But you know, keeping in touch with the people that you, you feel are going places is also really helpful. Um, whether it's folks in your field or not in your field, right? Because you never know where, where things are going to end. Um, and for me, I think it's also the, the whole question of mentoring, right? So there's networking with your peers, right? Folks that are kind of at a similar stage to you are. Um, and then hopefully you're progressing in the career path sort of, you know, roughly along the same um, timeline, right? So that you have peers that are the same level as you are, whatever the, your field is. Um, but then obviously there's also kind of getting to know folks who are, you know, maybe five years ahead of you in their career progression or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years in my case, <laughs> where, you know, I think different people, depending on their stage of their career and, you know, what they've seen in the industry and the evolution of their own areas, right, can have a lot of really helpful advice to give. Um, and, you know, I think anybody at any level still can benefit from advice from folks who've done it before and who um, have done it for longer, right? Um, and so, you know, the, um, I've mentioned how I got my first BD job earlier. You know, the, the person who ended up hiring me, right, um, we haven't worked together in like, you know, nine years, but I know where he is. <laughs> I have his phone number. Um, you know, we still talk pretty regularly. Um, you know, he's giving me great advice about where else I could go in my career, right? Because I kind of feel like it's the, you know, it's constant work in progress, right? Around sort of where you can learn and where you can go and where you can become. Um, so definitely kind of working on finding some sort of mentoring board or mentoring group or whatever you want to call it, right, within your network that, um, that might help you in the future is also pretty important. I would echo a bunch of that. I think for me specifically, for um, most of you guys in the audience, if you're uh, still an MVP, um, taking advantage of all the different ways that you can get involved and the amazing people that you can meet in the department. Um, I had mentioned uh, one person in particular who had been working at Top Hat, but actually I think one of the reasons I got the job is because I had done a, a different project with someone, uh, Carla Badger-Brown, who had just had a baby and needed someone to uh, be an interim project manager for this really interesting thing she was working on. And through my work on the uh, MVP GSU, she'd, we'd come into contact and she'd ask me to jump in. And for me, having that you know, interim project manager on my resume was, I think, a large part of helping get my first job and my foot in the door. Um, and so in addition to keeping in touch with people, just uh, taking the time to get the note to know them while you're all here together, because people are going to go on to do uh, really amazing things. And it's a great place to, to meet everybody. Yeah, I would echo just uh, networking is really important. And, and reach out. You know, when, you, when you speak to people within your own network, Ask them if they can connect you with someone else within their organization. Like, don't be shy to do that. That's kind of part of the process, and it, and it can help you meet others and hear different perspectives of different companies. And I would say it's also really important to network because as you go through the job search and you might, you know, you might end up with more than one offer. You want to have done some of that legwork up front so that you know where the best fit is going to be for you. Because um, you do want to make sure that there's a cultural fit. And what I found when I was going through the interview process and also when I was networking with people, um, there's certain places that just feel more comfortable for you and it's very hard to describe why. Um, but you just connect with different people in different ways. And, and really the only way that you can figure that out is by meeting with people. And you want to have that done before the job's posted, before uh, you're in that interview process. And then the other thing I just, because this was about kind of career advice, um, the other thing that I would say if when you do get into your career, 
is to be very open to learning. This is, can really help you succeed in your career. Um, so I know sometimes it's hard to hear feedback, and sometimes it's not positive, sometimes it is. But after you, you, know, you, you hand in a piece of work or what have you, ask for feedback from your, from your mentors within your organization. Ask what you did well, ask what you did bad. Um, and learn from it. And the other thing that I've done that's been really helpful in my career is I've watched the senior leaders in my organization. And uh, I've watched the types of things that they do. And I'll ask them sometimes questions, why did you do that? Um, and, and they'll tell me. And I've learned a lot from, from that. So I think that's really important as well. Um, and from the entrepreneur's perspective, my, my advice is dream big. Um, that there's no single path from A to B that you can take multiple careers and learn along the way. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, take risks, reach outside the box. And more importantly, like, as you're studying right now, you have a fair bit of freedom in terms of um, reaching out to people in the department, reaching out to people within UHN, within U of T, within Mars, with all these other organizations that are literally within blocks uh, of, of where you're right now. And so, uh, like, reach out and explore. And, you know, it's, it's all part of learning uh, as you move forward to your career. Yeah, and you use that word perspective. And I think that's what's so great about the panel here is that it, you are all such a diverse group of people, you have diverse jobs, and you have such a different perspective.